electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, a Monday sell-off on the street. The major average is getting hammered again. Tech getting hit the hardest. The Nasdaq now down over 25% this year. We'll go inside the staggering market cap destruction coming up. Plus, bank stock blues, names like J.P. Morgan, City, Morgan Stanley, Goldman, Bank of America, all down more than 17% this year. Tonight, one of our traders is wondering, are banks so bad they could be good? And later, the crypto collapse. Bitcoin falling out of bed, dropping nearly 20% in just the last week. Have the hodlers and the meme maniacs lost their nerve? We'll ask for Bitcoin baller. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market side in the heart of Times Square on the desk tonight. Guy Dami, Karen Feinerman, Jeff Mills, and Pete Najarian, co-founder, MarketRebellion.com. We start off with a new week. New week begins with a new wave of selling. Over the last three sessions, the S&P 500 has dropped more than 7%, and today it closed below 4,000, a key technical level. Things are even worse for the Nasdaq. Since last Thursday, the tech-heavy index is down more than 10%. Amazon has fallen over 13% in just three days. Our chart master, Carter Worth, in his morning note said, we don't like the way things look and said sell in not one, not two, but in two dozen different languages. By the way, we checked in with him after hours, Guy. He still says sell. He doesn't like the way things look still. What do you say? I have trouble with the English language, so the other 11 aren't going to really suit me particularly well. But what do I say? Last time we chatted was Tuesday before the Fed meeting. We had a really good conversation about what we thought would come out. One of the points we made was it was impossible for the Fed to be any more hawkish than they were. Relief rally sorted up to that 4250, 4300 level. We got it. Then we said sell at 4,000s in the card. So here we are. This makes sense to me. And I'll say this, and just my opinion, the only panic I've seen over the last couple weeks was on the Wednesday I just talked about when the market inexplicably went up almost 1,000 Dow points. Now you're getting to levels. I've mentioned 37.50 a couple times. I'll show you how I get there. $221 of S&P 500 earnings with a 17 multiple, which is reasonable. And that gets you to 37.50. And I think that's the reset that this market needs. Yeah. Jeff, how did you feel about today's sell-off? Did you feel like it was closer to capitulation? I mean, we saw the VIX, you know, surge higher by, what, 15 percent in a single day. We had selling across the board, as Guy mentioned, energy, a recent favorite, sold off. Semiconductors were down 5 percent. I mean, every damage being done to Apple and Microsoft, the two stalwarts. Yeah, I want to see some more relative to capitulation. I mean, even just from a technical perspective, you know, like VIX above 40, 99th percentile on the put call ratio, the percentage of stocks making a new three month low and that 50 to 60 percent of the S&P. We're just not quite there yet. And trust me, I take no pleasure in this, but I keep bringing up Apple. Uh, I'm not short Apple, certainly, but the price action is important. And I've been pointing to it time and time again, that upward sloping trend line from October of 2020. It was battling with it and it finally broke. This is the first time it's closed above that trend line since October of 2020. And I think that is significant. You saw similar price action in micro 
Microsoft. Tesla looks to be breaking down a little bit, but everybody is focused in that direction. I think really where you want to be looking is some of the indicators of slower economic growth, the, the copper gold ratio rolling over, PMIs continuing to roll over. And then look at stocks like Union Pacific or URI or Deer or Caterpillar. You know, these are stocks that have performed relatively well, and now you're starting to see weakness. So what I think is going to happen is the economy continues to slow, inflation peaks, rates peak, and you need to start to wade into some of these growth names. No one's going to ring a bell at the bottom, so you have to do it now, but do it in a measured way. What have you been doing, Karen? How are you feeling about this market? So I'm kind of intrigued. I mean, clearly, you know, I'm always net long, so that's painful to be in a market like this. But I'm also seeing, you know, things that are really starting to accelerate in terms of the pendulum swinging. So, you know, obviously I'm long Google's my biggest position. I'm long Meta, um, I'm long Apple, I'm long Microsoft. Um, I'm not long Netflix now, but I was just looking again today. You know the PE on Netflix is now? It's 15 times, 15 and change. That's, that's amazing to me that it's come all the way down. Not that there's not more downside, there is. But I still think that the IGV, which we talk about a lot, which is the software, really high flyer kind of names, I do think there's more room to go. I know they're down a lot, but I still don't think they're cheap. And I think that that sort of convergence of what I think of as the value Google meta, um, I still want to be long that and short the IGV. I'm looking like a name like Lulu. I would love to buy. It's down, I think, maybe 150, 160. I'm not quite sure. Also, that's still not cheap. It's getting a lot closer, but it still has a, a multiple... High 20s, maybe 30. I'd love to see it in the low 20s or even 25. So that's the kind of thing I would like to buy. Um, but I'm not really a seller here. I'd love to see, as, as uh, Jeff said, I'd love to see the VIX just shoot up. It, it felt not panicky today, sort of. It felt bad for sure, but not quite that absolute sort of capitulation quite yet. Pete, you probably have a better sense on the VIX and whether this was the day. I don't think that's it. I think we might see a turnaround Tuesday tomorrow. Big whoosh down. I would probably be a buyer then. Yeah, Pete. Well, there certainly is an interesting thing about the VIX today was the fact that how tight was that range when you see 32 to 35 and a half closed a little bit off of the highs of the day. I always keep an eye on the VXN as well, guys, and that's the NASDAQ volatility index, which did close above 41 for the first time in over a year. So it's been over 40, but it closed over 40, actually over 41 today. So that, that I think says a lot because what's really been getting hammered, and we all know it, has been the NASDAQ. Obviously, the Dow has gone down as well, but when we look at the NASDAQ and we look at the punishment that's been delivered there, it's not just the, the, the mega cap names. It's actually the, the combination of all of those different three and four multiple names, zero multiple names that are absolutely crashing, it feels like, almost daily. So I think that there's a lot going on within the markets themselves in terms of the structure. And like you said, there are a couple areas within the market that actually are, are doing okay. Look at names like Walmart and Caterpillar. There's a couple of names out there that are just standing up a little bit better. They're really going after these high multiple names. Now, that also drags down the apples and all those because when you see those ETFs start to move, those ETFs are starting to move to the downside. They're going to pull down some of those big mega caps along the way with them or at least add to some of the selling. So there's a big combination of things going on right now. And I would say one last thing. Does it feel a little bit, because it did for me today, like there was some kind of liquidation going on? Mm -hmm. That's the kind of sense that I got. I remember standing on the trading floors and that same feeling. 
I felt that a little bit today, the way things were cascading to the downside across so many different blocks, the same kinds of names. It kind of gave me that feel today, Mel. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, Guy, at the top, you know, it, it was broad-based. Winners were being sold along with losers. And when we had the collapse in ARC, along with decline in energy names here. So did it feel a little bit different this session versus others? I know what Pete is saying. I mean, without question, it feels like something happened clearly. And I'm sure in a couple of weeks from now, we'll know. But it's never just one cockroach, as everybody mm -hmm. also knows. So, you know, if there was capitulation one place, it's just going to cascade. I'll say this, and Pete makes a great point. You know, all these names are obviously in multiple dozens, hundreds of ETFs. And when passive investing was in vogue, and it still is, quite frankly, you know, those names benefited from inflows of cash. You know, now it's the other side of that pendulum. My concern has always been when passive becomes active, it's not going to be active on the way up. And so you're starting to see some of that now as well. That's a great sign. And I saw something before we came on about Goldman Sachs pull, pulling back on SPACs. I didn't catch the whole story. That's a really good sign. So some of the excess has clearly been taken out. I just don't think we've capitulated yet. Yeah, when you take a look at the, the SPAC collapse, when you take a look at the ARC collapse, when you take a look at the Bitcoin collapse, which you'll talk about more specifically later, later on in the show, Jeff, all these things are good signs that people are paring back in terms of their risk exposure. But where does that leave us in terms of, I mean, it doesn't feel like that there are many catalysts to the upside here because we, we are just sort of looking out at a long range of potential Fed rate increases. We don't know the size or magnitude or the scope and so here we are just sort of hanging out, waiting to see if we actually see a slowdown appear in our numbers. Yeah, I think that's generally right. And to your point, the action today was decidedly risk off. I mean, rates were down, right? So people were buying treasuries. People were buying staples, even though they're expensive. So you can tell the mood of the market uh, precisely by the way things traded today. And I, I would just warn investors in this kind of market, in a downtrend, I think the bar should be a lot higher in terms of calling the all clear signal. You know, if you go back to 2010, just as an example, I think there have been 24 or 25 instances of daily positive 3% moves. Well, on average, during those moves, the S&P was in a 14% drawdown. So those moves tend to happen in bear markets, in downtrends. So just be careful. Look at some of those technicals I mentioned to try to figure out whether you know, we should call all clear. And still pay attention to Apple. Still pay attention to Microsoft. I think those names still need to give back more uh, if we want to be confident that we're reaching a bottom. You know, Apple, Microsoft still above their average valuations over the last 10 years. Um, should those stocks be afforded a premium now? Yes, they should. Those businesses have changed. But even if you were to retrace some of the premium currently being paid, you know, you're, you're maybe talking about six, seven, eight percent down for Microsoft, maybe 15 percent down for Apple. I don't know if we'll get there, but those are reasonable reference points. All right. Our next guest sees opportunity in a particularly beaten up group, and that'd be Big Cap Tech. Tom Lee runs Fundstart Global Advisors and is a CNBC contributor. Tom, uh, what do you make of the sell off today first? Uh, well, you know, it's a it was an ugly day. It looks like another buyer strike day. I don't think there was a ton to be encouraged by. If anything, it might have been the fact that the VIX didn't really uh, spike, as you guys mentioned. And I think in terms of capitulation, I think some of the retail heavy stocks were the ones taking the biggest hits, like uh, whether it's it's something like an ARK ETF or the stay-at-home stocks. And so I think that's a, a, another encouraging sign. And I, 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 I would say a couple of things that I saw in other markets that kind of interested me was 
you know, I do think the odds of future Fed hikes actually drop. So I think whether it's technical or not, between now and year end, the market is now pricing one less hike, and we've had the curve steepen. So uh, if someone was trying to see a glimmer of hope in today, I, I actually think it's that the market has taken enough punishment that it's actually taking some of the hawkish bias out of the Fed. So you're still sticking by your year-end 5,100 target on the S&P 500, which is, you know, quite a bit away from where we are, at least currently, Tom. What brings us there? I mean, is it is it big cap tech? Because that's, that's the area you see opportunity in right now. Uh, yeah, I think big cap tech is really symptomatic of the risk-reward that's now prevalent. Um, I mean, Karen mentioned it, you know, you got stocks like Netflix, or Facebook at 11 times earnings, or Google X Cash at 14 times. So these names, which can still grow faster than GDP, are now trading at a four-point multiple discount to the market. And I think there's something else that investors have to keep in mind. If you compare market valuations today to, to even the 2000s or even the 2020 top, on an earnings yield, less bond yield, stocks are actually still cheap. So until the 10-year gets to something like 5 or maybe even close to 6%, you don't have that much compression in, in PE multiples. Now, of course, day-to-day stocks can get liquidated and there could be no buyers, so we could have uh, these sloppy downside days. But I think from a, you know, from a fundamental perspective, stocks aren't really demanding a lot of things go right for you to have positive return. Hey, Tom, it's Karen. Thanks for coming on, especially today. Um, so I know energy has been a big favorite of yours, um, the sector in general. Was today, did today make you think any differently that it's played out or this was just, it was down with everything else in the market? Uh, yeah, I mean, energy took it pretty hard today. Um, it's still up 36% year to date. So even though today it's down 8%, which is pretty shocking. I, I think that energy down is actually a sign we're closer to capitulation because it's one of the groups that no one, very few actually had losses in. And so it, someone selling it today is actually someone trying to actually raise cash. So it's a little bit like, you know, energy is a small weight, so it's it's a mini kernel uh, that people are selling. But fundamentally, as we know, uh, the sell-off isn't really changing the fact that there isn't enough investment in energy and too much capital was allocated to ESG. So I think energy is still a group that people want to own for the next few years. But again, you know, the fact that it's breaking down is making it tough to say that stocks uh, have found their bottom. But I think it's obviously it's much closer to a bottom. All right, Tom, great to speak with you and get your perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Tom Lee. Um, Jeff Mills, I go to you because um, you tweeted this out and, and you can incorporate what you think of Tom's um, you know take on the markets is that Clorox and NVIDIA traded the same forward PE. And I feel like that sort of encapsulates the market that we're in. You wonder if NVIDIA should have ever been at that, at that level, and you wonder if, if Clorox is overvalued here. How, how do you think about that? Yeah, sort of strange, right? And in the short term, it really doesn't matter whether Clorox is overvalued or not relative to NVIDIA. It's going to get bought if the market continues to behave this way. But 
I just thought it was interesting. And sure, you can make an argument that Nvidia still trades at 12 times sales, but you know the the cash flow and the profitability profile associated with a stock like Nvidia, you know, now trading at the same four multiple as Clorox, I think is pretty interesting and speaks to what Tom is talking about, which I think is you know buy quality growth stocks in, in this environment. I, I think what he what he believes is that you're going to see a peak in inflation you know, over the next couple of months. Uh, the market will start to re-rate what they think the Fed is going to do. And then people are going to start to open their eyes to relative value plays like that. And, you know, whether it's whether it's next week, whether it's next month and whether these stocks have more downside to go. Like I said, no one's going to ring a bell, but it's certainly worth taking a look at some of these quality growth names that have earnings, that have real cash flow, because ultimately I think that's where investors are going to huddle as we move into the second half of the year. Hey, you think there's more downside in some of the uh, higher valuation tech names that have even gotten crushed so far? And I'm thinking of the ARC names. You, you were active in some of uh, the ARC <laughs> names today. Yeah, Mel, for the last week or so, they've been buying the ARC F, which is the fintech. They've been doing the innovation and they're buying puts. And they've been aggressively buying those puts, as a matter of fact, right at the money puts that they're looking for even further roll down. Because as it's gone down, they've been rolling down with it and continuing to be with that trade. So, yeah, I think those high multiple names are definitely in, under attack right now. That's why people are going after the ARC F and the ARC K. So I, I think it's really interesting. Some huge option paper in there, too. I mean, we're talking 20 and 30,000 at a clip mill where they're looking for these. And that comes at a point in time where these have fallen already. It's not like they just started. These are already on their 52-week lows, and they continue to buy puts into this, uh, this push to the downside. The one last thing I'd say about energy real quick, Mel, would be this. When I look at the price of oil today down significantly and nat gas down about 12%, I think that explains a lot about why energy was under so much pressure today. It really has been moving almost step by step with those two to the upside and then again, once again, to the downside. So I think, I think that's the rationale on energy today. I don't think necessarily people were selling because it was the winner. I think people were selling because they were looking at that price of crude and the price of nat gas pulling back significantly. All right, coming up, banks getting bruised in today's sell-off. One of our traders says the beatdown is just getting started. We're going to home in on the financials next, plus big tech takedown, the FANG trade getting hit hard as tech sold off. We'll dig into what's next for the group when Fast Money returns. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Big bank bloodbath. The financial ETF, the XLF, falling more than 10% this year. Check out some of the astounding losses. Citi, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and more, all taken out to the woodshed. So are the big banks so bad that they actually look good? That's a Carter Worthism. But Guy, you actually <laughs> brought that up in, in relationship to, the, to these names. I think it's something worth looking at for sure. I mean, you're trying to crawl through the wreckage like Dave Edmonds and you look at some of these things and I will tell you, I can't remember the last time, maybe Karen knows that Bank of America and JP Morgan were trading at the exact same multiple to tangible book. They're both trading right now about 1.7 times tangible book. Now, listen, you could say that Bank of America doesn't deserve that and maybe that's true, but I'll tell you, JP Morgan certainly deserves a premium multiple. And 120 was the level we talked about for a while. I think J.P. Morgan at you know, this valuation, which you haven't seen maybe in 15 or so years, makes sense. And Bank of America, by the way, this was the level we topped out at this 35 and a half, 36 level right before COVID hit in January, February of 2020. So, you know, banks, people have been waiting for valuations to make sense. I think they actually are starting to make a lot of sense right now. They may be making sense, but then you might be worried that we're heading for a recession. You might be worried that because of the markets, that equity issuance and trading and all those good things that make a lot of money for a lot of these banks are drying up, Karen. So how do you think about banks multiple now in this environment? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, to counter your point, those are good points that you make. But to counter those points, right, we have higher rates and mm-hmm. we have been just you know, weighing on banks for so long, there's no net interest margin, they can't make any spread, they can't make any money, and that's not the case. So we saw that they could do that even when spreads were tighter. We're going to see much wider spreads now. So that's a good thing because they do, that is obviously a very significant part of their revenue. Uh, I think that um, the customer is still in good shape. Credit quality is still in excellent shape. You could say that's a positive or a negative, and I understand that. But I think that in a market like this where people are looking for cheaper valuations, this is a pretty cheap valuation. I, now, I'm, I was looking at JP Morgan today. Um, that's definitely on my list. Bank America is my biggest bank uh, position. Uh, and I know Pete likes Goldman Sachs. I also have some Wells Fargo and then I have Morgan Stanley, which is somewhat of a different animal. They don't have the lending exposure. They don't have as much credit exposure, but they do have exposure to that market of you know investment banking, no SPACs, that kind of thing. Um, and then the asset wealth, asset and wealth management business, which Morgan Stanley is big in and uh, JP Morgan obviously big in as well. Bad markets, sometimes that can hit that division. But for Bank America, they are in touch with that customer, as Brian Moynihan said three weeks ago. And I don't think the world has changed that dramatically in three weeks. The customer is in very good shape. The balance sheets are in very good shape. So. Bank America here is also very attractive. Um, Jeff Mills, to counter the counter, to my point, <laughs> I'll say, you know, higher rates are great unless you they believe that the, that the economy is going to be in a recession and consumers and businesses aren't going to borrow money. So banks won't make those loans and make the money off the net interest margin. I mean, you actually you think banks are going lower. Yeah, and I can appreciate what Guy and Karen are saying, but that's exactly it. I think when the Fed is hiking into an economic slowdown, when high yield spreads are still as tight as they are, there's still room to widen out and for credit to deteriorate. I just think multiples are likely to continue to compress and their current levels don't matter much. It's a macro call, so I think the underperformance can continue. Yeah. Peter, are you still in Goldman? 
I am. I love it. Matter of fact, that was just a fairly recent addition right around mm-hmm. that earnings time, Mel. I got it right around 312. You know, it's trading one times book. So when I look at that and I look at JP Morgan, I look at Bank of America, and I look at some of the other names, Morgan Stanley, it's the cheapest. And oh, by the way, this is a great trading environment. It's not always easy for everybody. I get it. But when you're looking at commodities and you're looking at equities and you're looking at all of that, they had $8 billion in revenue this past quarter of the nearly $13 billion that they actually reported. So they are doing a lot of things, I think, right on the Goldman Sachs side of things. I like it at one time's book. I know guys got to like it at one time's book. This thing, I think it's inexpensive. And in the markets that we're in right now, and you look at the pristine market, when you look at the, 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 the books themselves for each one of these banks, this one's got as good a book as anybody else. And I think trading at one time's it's way too cheap. So it gives me the opportunity to own it and sell calls every month. Coming up at the tech rack in focus as the Nasdaq drops more than 4%. So is the group untouchable here? We got the details ahead. Plus, a rare bright spot in today's sell-off. Walmart managing to close out in the green. So there's a big box bet on the table. More on that in just a few. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. You'll see a red for the third straight session. The S&P falling more than 3% today. The Dow tumbling more than 650 points. The Nasdaq suffering the worst losses, down nearly 4%. And check out the staggering amount the mega cap names have lost in the market um, in terms of market cap since last Thursday. That, by the way, more than a trillion dollars in three trading days. Let's dig deeper into tech here. Shares of Palantir dropping over 20% to an all-time low after an earnings miss. A host of other software stocks all hitting new 52-week lows. DocuSign, Snowflake, Zoom, Salesforce, just to name a few. Let's bring in Tyler Radke, the co-head of Citi's U.S. Software Equity Research. Tyler, great to have you with us. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. I'm wondering, you know, across your coverage universe, what has the, the multiple collapse been like? And do you how much of it do you think is justified in that some stocks may not have ever justified the multiple that they once were at? And where do you see the opportunities? Yeah, I think no question. It's, it's been a challenging six months for a lot of software investors, particularly those that are newer uh, to the sector. You're, you're seeing really the first bear market in software for, for a long time. Um, I think we're shifting from a growth at all costs mindset to a growth at a reasonable cost mindset and much more of a focus on profitability versus just looking at EV to sales. So I think you're seeing investors batten down the hatches. They're they're owning names that have weathered downturns that have that earnings and free cash flow support. 
Uh, so we definitely think it's time to be more selective. Selective like which names? I mean, is it just Microsoft, the names like Microsoft, the big think, cap yeah, tech I names? Think, yeah. I think that's part of it. Certainly names that have large enterprise customer bases, they can pull levers, whether it's pricing. So Microsoft, uh, ServiceNow, even some of the, the more value names like Informatica that we cover um, so on, the, on the smaller cap side. So, so those would be kind of your, your bat in the hatches down name. Now, to be, to be fair, I, I still think if your time horizon is multiple years out, you look, like, look at a name like Snowflake, some of the highest growth, but actually does generate free cash flow uh, positive margins. So um, just given the pullback in some of these names, I think if you are looking out uh, multiple years, which admittedly is stuff to do right now, uh, there's still some good opportunities. I want to ask you specifically about Palantir. Um, Guy Dami watches this one very closely because it's it's one of the names that he thought you should buy at the start of the year here. The guidance was disappointing. Um, some other analysts on the street say the second half could look better because you got some tailwinds like the U.S. budget getting finalized and, and war. That helps Palantir. Um, but where do you stand on this? And, and more specifically, in terms of the revenue it derives from SPACs, we're seeing this major SPAC collapse pretty much across the board. Should we think that that revenue is in jeopardy? Yeah, so we, we've been cautious on Palantir for really the last year, just our concerns that it benefited from the pandemic. Uh, growth was slowing and they were doing some unusual things such as investing in SPAC companies to derive uh, revenue growth. And, and we were just concerned that that would ultimately uh, come back to, to hurt them. And I think that's what you're seeing uh, with this quarter. The second quarter guide missed expectations, was below the street. Uh, regarding the second half, I think it's a little too early to say. Um, clearly, the company did uh, reiterate their full year guide, but it, it does imply a steeper second half ramp. And they didn't really provide a ton of details on these contracts, You know, the, the timing of which when those uh, can close, these large deals are always tough to predict. So uh, you know, we, we still accelerated on that one. I think there's better t opportunities elsewhere. Hey, Tyler, Jeff Mills here. I I'd be interested in your thoughts on a stock like Salesforce, sort of middle of the road, right? It it's not really cheap like a Facebook or Google right now, but certainly not in the same bucket as a Snowflake. Uh, you know, absolute multiples still reasonably high, but it's never really traded this cheaply. So just some thoughts on that I'd be interested in to hear. Yeah, I think middle of the road would be a great way to describe it. Uh, we don't have a buy, we don't have a sell. I think our concern is is we we like the business. I think the timing of the, this business, you know, going into a downturn potentially, um, you know, front office spending tends to get hit a little bit more than than infrastructure spending heading into a downturn. Uh, we also worry that given the big pullback in the markets, that uh, a large M and A deal could be on the table. Obviously, this this company. Uh, has a history of, of doing M and A. Uh, we we saw them do Slack, a big acquisition, uh, about a year and a half ago, which really kind of disrupted this whole organic growth and margin story. So we kind of worry that a you could have growth slow a little bit because of the pandemic, uh, or sorry, because of a downturn, and b just valuations coming in could mean that they could do another large deal. Tyler, thanks for joining us. Nice to see you, Tyler Radke. Yeah, thank City. you. Um, Guy, I think I was channeling 2021. Palantir was your hope trade, and now we're on to the dawn trade. So you actually dropped it. But how are you feeling about this space overall? And Tyler had mentioned Snowflake, if you have a multi-year time horizon. Yeah, it actually makes it worse, though, because, I mean, I love Palantir at 25, <laughs> 21. I mean, I can give you the numbers, and, and it's trading, what, seven and a half bucks now? So, I mean, among the myriad of things I've been wrong about, that's on the top of the list. And 
you know, maybe some of these, listen, they've been cautious on it, obviously justified. I'll say this quickly. I'll go to Microsoft real quick. I know you want to talk Salesforce and some of these other things, but Microsoft, I think Pete would agree with this. Right now at 264, I think is where it closed. You're trading at 23 times next year's numbers. You haven't seen Microsoft trade at those levels in, I don't think, three or four years at least. Now, the pushback will be, well, they're not going to get that $11. Okay, that's fine. But, you know, I think their trajectory is fine. And I think in terms of valuation, this is about as most compelling level it's been in a way long time. Karen, you still short IGV? I am short IGV. I was just looking. IGV is right back to where it was before the pandemic. And you could say, oh, they've had all that growth. Well, they've all lost a lot of money. Not all, some. Some of those high-flying software names have all lost a lot of money. So, in fact, they should be lower than here. And as we've said numerous times, pendulum swing past fair value. And I don't think the IGV is currently at fair value. So, yes, I'm short and also it's a bit of a hedge against my long Google and Facebook and Apple and Microsoft. All right, coming up, a green arrow in a sea of red. Walmart managing to stay positive amid the sell-off. So can you count on the big box stocks for safety and sticking with retail Kohl's dropping more than 9% today as shareholders gear up for a board vote. Got the details next when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Walmart not letting today's sell-off get in the way of some gains. Shares climbing 1% as the rest of the market plunge. Some of the other big box retailers also managing to stay in the green amid the carnage. So should you bet on these big box names? I mean, in theory, Pete, this is where you go no matter what. Times are good or times are bad. <laughs> You're totally right. And I think Walmart finally got into a position, Mel, after being overpriced for a long period of time and just sort of the stock kind of holding stagnant for a while and then starting to move to the upside as the earnings started to get a little bit better. I think when you look at a forward at 22 times earnings, that's pretty reasonable, I think. I think I, I think maybe it's a little bit inflated, but I think that's relatively reasonable. That's why I can't quite figure out Target. I love that. You know that I know that name. I've been in that stock a really long period of time. I think they've done most everything right. Stock was 260. It's not even close to that right now. I think it's closer to 225. But when you look at their forward PE and you're looking at the teens, this thing's still too cheap. So I'm going to still take target over Walmart, but I've been trading Walmart a lot. It's been a great trader, and I think that they are in the right place at the right time, especially if you add in Sam's. They really are positioned well. Guy, Walmart or Target? Target. I mean, Pete's right. I have, I have a Walmart closer to 21. doesn't matter. I mean, Target right now is trading at 14 times the 16 or so dollars they're going to earn Next year, it's just too cheap. Now, you could say, look, Target doesn't deserve a Walmart multiple. Okay, maybe. But it certainly deserves what I think mm-hmm. is a market multiple, somewhere between 17 and 18, and you can do the math on that. So I think Target should be significantly higher. I agree with Pete, significantly lower than the recent all Well, actually, it's not even recent anymore. It's about a year ago we made an all-time high, as opposed to Walmart, which just made it three or four weeks ago. So Target over Walmart for sure. All right. Meantime, check out Kohl's dropping more than 9% today. Sell-off shareholders gearing up for a board of directors vote on Wednesday. Karen, you've been watching this very closely. What do you think? Yes, and I'm long. So there's a shareholder vote on, it's the proxy on Wednesday. And what's before the shareholders is to vote on, do they want to keep the old slate current management or do they want to put in the activist slate? 
And so to me, the issue is a board has two main jobs. One, pick the CEO and two, decide on the destiny of this company. Are they going to uh, adopt management's new plan to maximize shareholder value of their, there's been many, or are they going to sell the company, right? And they claim that they've run a real process to sell the company, even though that was four months ago. We really should have heard more by now. This board should really delay the annual meeting and let the shareholders vote after they've decided what they're going to do with the destiny of this company. Are they going to keep it and let management run it with their plan? This is the same management they've had for a long time. Or are they going to sell it? So to make shareholders tell you what they're going to do prior to your giving us the information about what you've decided to do with this company, that doesn't seem fair. You really should delay and you could set a, set a date in July and let the shareholders know when they have a lot more information. That will help them vote. This, I think you're trying to jam the vote down the shareholders' throats without giving them enough information. Not cool. Have you reached out to the Coles board, Karen? Or IR? <laughs> I have not reached out to the Coles board. They did just put out a letter. They said, let us run this process unhindered. That's fine. Don't be hindered by a new board. Delay the meeting. I don't think they really want to hear from me, to be honest. Well, they just heard. <laughs> Note <laughs> Coles of what Karen Feinerman is saying. All right, coming up. Right. Crypto carnage. Bitcoin plummeting more than 9% today. So what's in store for the crypto trader? Bitcoin baller Brian Kelly joins us next to lay it out. Plus, Rivian skidding out, dropping nearly 21% as the EV makers lock up expires. One option traders betting shares stay in reverse. We got the details when Fast Money comes right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Bitcoin getting hammered today, hitting its lowest level since last July, dangerously close to the 30,000 level. Our Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly, says the cryptocurrency is trading in near lockstep with the Nasdaq. He joins us now to walk through where we go from here. Um, BK, good to see you. So we're, it, Bitcoin's just trading like a, a risk asset. It's, it's, and that's, that's it? I mean, well, so there's, there's two things going on. Number one is that it's trading like a risk asset. So if you look at the 30-day rolling correlation of Bitcoin and the NASDAQ 100, it's about 77% right now. That's about the highest we've seen, but almost all year it's been above 70%. So that is number one. You've got that kind of flow. The second thing that's actually going on is there's a stable coin that is ostensibly backed by Bitcoin in some way, and they're trying to defend the peg against the dollar, and they have to sell some Bitcoin to do that. And that's accelerating the sell-off here. So you have both kind of elements coming in, and that's why we're down almost 10% today. Can one not buy Bitcoin, or should one not buy Bitcoin until the NASDAQ bottoms, basically? Or until the correlation breaks, yeah. So, mm -hmm. we, I mean, at this point in time, you're going to have to wait for that. So it's just a question of the next phase of Bitcoin will be maybe we see currencies break. Look what's going on with the yen or the RMB. That might be the next catalyst, but until we see that, it is going to keep trading with the NASDAQ. How do you look at currencies and see the moves and, and relate it to what's going on with Bitcoin? When we, you see the yuan go down 1%, uh, excuse me, and you see the Dixie hit two-year highs, I mean, how do you sort of take that information and, and translate that into what's going on with Bitcoin? Yeah, so, you know, it, the correlation between the dollar and Bitcoin has been negative. So just like where, where the NASDAQ, it's positive, it's trading with it. When the dollar goes up, Bitcoin has been going down. But when I see stuff like the yuan and the RMB move the way that they move, I mean, these are extraordinary moves. 
things we haven't seen since the 1980s when we had the Plaza Accord. That's currency markets breaking. And so how does that translate into Bitcoin? Bitcoin is an alternative currency, just like gold is. So I think at some point in time, when those currencies break, Bitcoin's actually going to see some positive flow from that. Hey, BK, it's Karen. Thanks for being on today. What do you think about if the Fed were to become a little more dovish? Would that help Bitcoin and therefore, I guess, the Nasdaq or vice versa? It would rip higher. Yeah. And, and, it, and that's what everybody is looking for. Right. So at 30,000, everybody's trying to buy this dip. Everybody's trying to figure out, is the Fed going to back off the, the brakes a little bit? My view is they're not going to. But the moment that they do, and maybe that moment is when Bitcoin's at 20,000. I don't know. That's going to be a big buying opportunity for Bitcoin. Well, give us a glimpse of the Bitcoin ballers portfolio, Brian. I mean, obviously, you're you're. Your mandate is to be a crypto fund. And so I'm wondering how you sort of navigate this and how you hedge. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, you know, we're all over the place. But at this point, we're net short uh, on Bitcoin. So we're playing the downside here. Um, we are looking for a place where I want to buy buy the Bitcoin. But for now, you know, you got to play and trade the market you got. So I'm, I'm going to be net short Bitcoin until things change. That's the headline. BK, always good to get your take. Thank you, Brian Kelly. Absolutely. You hear a Bitcoin baller like BK, net short Bitcoin. What do you think of Coinbase, Guy? <laughs> well, we've thought about it for a while. Throw Robin Hood <laughs> yeah. in there as well. But I'll say this. Karen asked the exact right question. If this Fed were to blink for whatever reason, which would be a mistake, that's when Bitcoin goes. And I'll choose to use this word parabolic. I don't think there's coincidence that Bitcoin's been cut in half since effectively Thanksgiving, the same time the Fed got extraordinarily hawkish. Yeah, Pete. Well, you know, I was thinking as you as you asked some questions of him, as, as well as what he had added about how the correlation is, Mel, with I believe he was talking about the Nasdaq, right? Mm -hmm. About a seventy-seven percent correlation. Well, shoot, uh, you know, I, I'd never really given that enough thought of that correlation and that being that close. But you want to be able to hedge yourself. Seems to me by having some form of, of puts to the downside in the triple Qs or something like that, you could at least give yourself some form of a hedge against whatever it is you're holding from the long side. And it, it's something I hadn't thought about before, so it's really intriguing. I'm, this is a whole new world for me going forward with Bitcoin. I, I like it. Karen, would you hedge your position with puts on the Qs? Um... No, I sort of had it in this bucket of, look, this is funny, put aside, make this bet, taking, you know, multiples off the table and let it ride in great markets and crappy markets. And clearly we're in a really crappy one now. Yeah, it's your put it in the drawer <laughs> kind of trade, as BK would say. <laughs> Coming up, Rivian reversal. Shares dropping nearly 21% as the EV makers lockup expires and options traders are buckling up for even more pain ahead. we got the details and fast money returns. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of XPO Logistics. Catch a full exclusive interview at the top of the hour in Mad Money. And do not forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox. The CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now at cnbc.com slash join the club or by using the QR code on your screen. Check out Rivian falling to a new all-time low. Today was the stock's worst day ever. This after Ford announced it will sell 8 million of its shares as the company's lockup period expires. Rivian reports Wednesday, options traders are betting there is more pain to come. Mike Coe is here with the action. Mike. 
Yeah, so Rivian traded uh, more than six times its average daily put volume. We saw puts outpacing calls by more than 2.6 to 1. Right now, the options market is implying a move, if you can believe it or not, of more than 17 percent uh, by the end of the week after they report earnings. And the most active options that we saw today were the weekly 24 strike puts. We saw over 31,000 of those trade for an average price of $2.14 a contract. And if you think that seems cheap, given the stock's closing price of about 22 and a half bucks or so, one of the reasons for that is that the stock declined steadily throughout the day. And a lot of these were trading as the day progressed. So many of those puts are actually well in the money already. But it does seem like the sentiment is decidedly bearish going through the end of this week. All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Coe with the options action. Um, Pete, I know you noticed this trade, but I mean, independent of that, you've been trading some of these EV names, and I'm wondering if this is a reason, one reason to sell Rivian. Yeah, I got to tell you, Mel, absolutely. And I, we've been seeing this put activity, not just today, but even going back to last Friday, Mel, where they were buying the 29 strike puts that expire this coming Friday. So they just seem to be pounding these EVs names across the board. And I think right now the best thing is just to step back, let the dust settle a little bit and keep an eye on things. And when we start to turn again, then I think you can feel a little bit better about the trade because right now the pressure is on and it's a lot to do with the balance sheets of these companies. And I think Phil LeBeau was talking about that as well. But you look at these balance sheets, there's only so much cash to go around and that's going to be a problem. All right. Don't forget Options Action, the full show, every Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades plus one-time high flyer that is losing 40-plus percent of its value after hours. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast. Look at Upstart. Looking down. Uh, It is down 44 percent right now. It's a lending platform that uses AI. The company uh, topped expectations but cut its forecast for the full year. This is a $400, $400 stock in October, Guy. Down 90%. And one of the great interviews in the history of CNBC took place when this was a basically a $400 stock. Go back and look with Tyler's interview back then. Didn't make any sense now. Quite frankly, still doesn't make any sense. Valuations matter. Now 90% lower And you're starting to see what's happening to some of these high flyers, Melms. Yep. Time for the final trade. Pete? I'm going to go with the ARC puts, Mel. They just keep coming after them. I think it's going a little bit lower. Karen Feinerman. Yes. um, It's a would you rather. I would have rather Target. I have Target. I like it right here. The price is value, which they provide. And they do have a very big $15 billion buyback in place. And they bought some of the stock. 246. So I think they would be a buyer right here. Jeff Mills. Dollar General. I think if you have to be long, this is a good stock for this market. Guy Adami. Amgen in the green today would have been significantly higher, but for the tape valuations compelling Amgen. All right. Thank you all so much for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. 
Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.